The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. I'm at the cathedral in Turin, Italy, and we're here to attend a rare public exhibition of perhaps the most famous piece of cloth in the world, the Shroud of Turin. The industrial northern Italian city of Turin seems an unlikely home for a burial cloth that many believe covered the crucified body of Jesus in Jerusalem. But I joined thousands of other pilgrims making a special trip to Turin. We came to see the Shroud of Turin, which went on display during one of its rare public appearances in the city's 15th century cathedral. They wanted to see and many to venerate this linen cloth with the image of a crucified man. The relic has been kept in a silver chest in the Chapel of the Holy Shroud since the 1500s when it first appeared in Italy. And this controversial object has been the subject of more scientific scrutiny than any other piece of cloth in history. Many people wonder why this rectangular burial cloth wasn't mentioned in the Gospel accounts. If the resurrection of Jesus from the dead had actually left a miraculous image on the shroud, why wouldn't His disciples have venerated and described it in their Gospel accounts? Details of the shroud image aren't easily distinguishable in plain eyesight. That took the advent of photography. So from photographs that were first made in 1898, we learned that the image of a crucified man appears to have been scorched onto the cloth. Many believing scientists are of the opinion that radiation from the Lord's resurrection was the cause of the formation of this image. Well, for me, it was a moving experience to visit the exhibit because I've wanted to see the famous shroud ever since I first heard about it. The short two-month exhibit was very well organized for pilgrims with a devotional and orderly atmosphere. I didn't know how I would react to actually viewing the cloth. I've seen honor guards at the caskets of famous politicians and even a queen. But perhaps the unexpected aspect that touched me the most when I encountered the Shroud of Turin was the scene of two honor guards who were dressed in full regalia and bearing swords stationed on either side of the displayed cloth. All over the world, security has been heightened, but somehow I hadn't expected to see the solemn honor guard. The respect and solemnity of the two guards touched me deeply. Details of the cloth weren't fully perceptible as we approached our turn to stand for a few minutes in front of the shroud. And as we approached, it was also time for the changing of the guards. They were protecting the holy relic, and they gave due honor in a dignified way to what some believe to be the very cloth that came in physical contact with the corpse and the precious blood of the King of Kings. 
Jesus' suffering and passion were on display to the world in this exhibit, whether or not it was a true relic or just a lifelike illustration of what the Lord endured on the cross. The cloth shows both the front and back of a crucifixion. In all, the shroud measures almost 14 feet long. Standing on either side of the cloth, the two honor guards spontaneously brought to my mind the scene described in John chapter 20 of two angels who sat where the body of Jesus had been entombed, one at the head and one at the feet. Something about the presence of these guards connected me with the two angels at the tomb in Jerusalem, according to the gospel accounts. The stretched out linen cloth barely showed a faint, full-length photonegative image of a man bearing signs of wounds that exactly correspond to the accounts in the gospel of our Lord's passion in every detail. Now the confusing parallel markings and patches that run down both sides of the cloth are not part of the mysterious image. This is because unfortunately the shroud was damaged in a fire in 1532 while it was housed in a chapel in France. Burn holes in scorched areas down both sides of the linen were caused by molten silver that burned through places while the shroud was folded. Fourteen large triangular patches and eight smaller patches were sewn onto the cloth by nuns to repair the damages. But thankfully, the central image itself of the crucified man is intact, although the image has faded over the centuries. However, when digitally enhanced by modern technology, the image is an awesome show-and-tell of the brutality of a scourging and crucifixion. Yet the victim's face in death is one of the utmost serenity. Well, the basilica was darkened to highlight the backlit shroud and no flash photography was allowed. Before approaching the shroud, a video in an antechamber prepared us with information about the image on the cloth. We saw a photographic positive of the face and then the photographic negative explaining the image's many features. The man in the shroud has a beard, a mustache, and shoulder-length hair parted in the middle. He's muscular and tall. Various experts have measured him at roughly 5 foot 7 inches or more. The face is almost central to the cloth and the dorsal side of the body is on the right. Imprints on the cloth include a wrist wound on the top of the folded hands. It's a large round wound, apparently from being pierced. And the second wrist is hidden by the folded hands. The bloodiest wound is an upward gouge in the right side. Proponents say that this wound was a post-mortem event because there are separate components of red blood cells and serum draining from the lesion. According to the New Testament, the side of Jesus was pierced after his death to make doubly sure by the soldier that he was dead. 
punctures around the forehead and scalp result from a crown, or more accurately, a cap of thorns. The torso and legs are marked with linear wounds. Proponents of the shroud say that these wounds are consistent with the distinctive dumbbell wounds of a Roman whip that occurred during the Lord's scourging of 39 stripes. The serene face is swollen from beatings and streams of blood flow down from the forehead and from both arms. Proponents of the shroud concur that the blood drippings happen in response to gravity at an angle that would occur during crucifixion. Large puncture wounds in the feet indicate that there was a single spike. All of these wounds and the serene expression on the face bring to mind the prophecy of Isaiah 53.5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was wounded for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was put upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. While in front of the relic itself, we were encouraged to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the Lord's work of atonement at the cross. And pilgrims were given the dignity of time to meditate. And then after visiting the shroud, we were moved past this triumphant painting of the resurrection of Jesus. For centuries, Italian artists have tried to depict the 14-foot burial cloth of Jesus with front and dorsal images. This painting is a good artistic example of how the cloth was wrapped front and back with a head central to the cloth. This photo of the sepia image shows the front and back of the wounded corpse in rigor mortis. But the two-sided image of the crucified man is much clearer in black and white negative than in its natural color. The striking negative image was discovered in 1898 on the reverse photographic plate of a photographer named Secundo Pia. Pia had been authorized to photograph the cloth in Turin Cathedral. And ever since then, people have been wondering could the Shroud of Turin be the very first photograph ever produced, and that by Jesus the Messiah himself at the flashpoint of his resurrection? As it turns out, and this fact was only discovered in the 1970s, the Shroud image is actually three-dimensional. A NASA team discovered that a photograph of the Shroud produced a three-dimensional image when placed under an image-analyzing computer. This discovery implies that the shroud uniquely has distance imaging information embedded in its image. And unlike a simple drawing or painting, the cloth is in fact dimensionally encoded like a hologram. This fact alone virtually suggests that the shroud couldn't be a forgery, as some people suspect by Leonardo da Vinci, which has been the oldest argument in the past. Image analyzing computer technology wasn't invented until the last century, so it's inconceivable that any medieval artist could have been that creative. Because of the 3D effect, 
technicians have been able to produce even a braille version of the shroud for blind people to examine. But the main reason why this cloth is endlessly intriguing is because of the nature of the resurrection itself. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the heart of this Bible, celebrated and believed all over the world by Christians in every nation. And the resurrection is part of our blessed hope. The Gospels inform us that Jesus died at the time of the evening sacrifice at three o'clock in the afternoon on the eve of the Jewish Passover. That means the disciples had only about three hours to take Jesus' body down from the cross and to prepare it for burial before the start of the Passover at sunset at about 6 p.m. when nobody could work any longer. That meant that they had to act quickly. They didn't have time for the full burial rites. So the dead body was wrapped front and back in a shroud and held in place by other pieces of cloth. And according to Mark chapter 15 and verse 46, Jesus was buried in fine linen. The Greek word for this is sendon. And so sendonology is the term used to describe studies about the Shroud of Turin. Sendon is an interesting word used elsewhere in the New Testament. And so let's allow scripture to interpret scripture. This word sendon, which describes the item that Jesus was buried in, is also used to describe a large piece of cloth, a garment, worn by the disciple Mark. And this garment is described twice in Mark chapter 14 in verses 51 and 52. It says that after Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, a certain young man, that's Mark, followed him having a linen cloth, wearing it, thrown around his naked body. And the next verse says, And he left the linen cloth, the sindon, and fled naked from the guards who had come to arrest Jesus. And so this word sindon, the cloth in which Jesus was buried, is like the size of a garment, and it's a different word from the word described as the grave clothes used to wind around the body of Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. You see, Lazarus's grave clothes are winding cloths described in John chapter 11, from which Jesus said Lazarus had to be loosed. But because there wasn't enough time before the Jewish Sabbath, to give Jesus a full burial, the holy myrrh-bearing women came to the tomb early on Sunday morning to try to finish the job. However, by then Jesus was already resurrected, leaving behind the shroud that he had passed through, and he folded the napkin that had been placed over his face and left it separately. And so what about that napkin? Well, in northern Spain, in the Cathedral of Oviedo, there is another special relic. It's a piece of cloth that doesn't have an image. The only thing that's seen on it are spots of blood, but it's believed to be the napkin that covered the face of Jesus. 
And what's so extraordinary is that tradition, as well as science, maintained that this cloth was the one utilized, actually, to cover and to clean the face of Jesus after the crucifixion. Now, John's Gospel mentions this cloth in chapter 20. It says, Then Simon Peter came following him, that is John, and entered the tomb. He too also saw the linen cloths lying flat. The napkin with, uh, which had been around his head was not lying flat like the other linen cloths, but it lay rolled up in its place. John makes a clear distinction between the cloth that is smaller on the face of Jesus and the shroud and linen strips of cloths that had been tied around Jesus' entire body. The most convincing coincidence is that the blood on both cloths, the relic in Turin and the relic in Spain, are reportedly both the AB type of blood. And the nose measurements are exactly the same on both cloths. Another interesting fact is that if the shroud of Oviedo is placed over the shroud of Turin, the spots match perfectly with the beard and the face. It seems a custom of the time that the face cloth was used to clean the face, but without any movement of cleaning, only place to absorb the blood. Well, of course, you can decide for yourself about these shrouds, but it's the gospel accounts that are really important, and all theologians and Bible scholars and teachers emphasize that. And we affirm that Jesus, descended from King David, was dead, buried, and after three days and nights, he rose from the dead. These facts are recorded in all the Gospels and also by the Jewish historian Josephus, who wrote, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works. Pilate condemned him to the cross. He appeared to them alive again on the third day. Many believe that the image on the shroud was caused by a burst of radioactivity at the time of the resurrection, which scorched the linen, leaving behind a record of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins. For a number of years, I found the permanent exhibition on the Shroud of Turin in Jerusalem an inspiring place to visit, and I've taken our tour groups there many times. Some of the most fascinating features of the exhibit are a bronze statue of the Man of the Shroud in Repose. The statue is produced by an Italian artist using data from the Shroud of Turin. And as you examine the statue, you can see the wound and the wrist and the feet and on the knees. You can examine the body up close and very personal. Also fascinating are magnified photographs of coins that were placed over the eyes of the man of the shroud. It was a Jewish custom to put small coins over the eyes of a dead body to keep the eyelids closed. The image of the coin over the right eye is the clearer of the two coins, and the letter-like shapes on the coin are clearly distinguishable. They match the lettering on a Pontius Pilate coin that was struck in the 16th year of the Emperor Tiberius, or A.D. 29. 
a year which, of course, would predate the crucifixion. The coin image over the left eye is less distinct, but it's still clearly identifiable as the so-called Julia Lepton of Pilate, struck only in the year A.D. 29. So the probability of Leonardo da Vinci placing two different Holy Land coins minted in the same year on a corpse is rather remote. In fact, the crucifixion happened within a few short years after 29 A.D., and therefore dates the shroud to the time of the New Testament. But what about radiocarbon dating? Well, tests have been largely disputed. Criticisms have been raised regarding the choice of the sample taken for testing, with suggestions that the sample may represent a medieval repair fragment rather than the image-bearing cloth. Another argument in favor of the shroud belonging to Jesus concerns the pollen found on the cloth and faint images of botany on the cloth. Four years ago, we invited Dr. Avi Noam Dannon to speak to us at our Passover conference here in Jerusalem. Dr. Dannon is a botany professor at the Hebrew University, and he studied samples of pollen collected from the surface of the shroud. He told us that photographers that he knew personally spent thousands of hours looking at photographs that had been specially enhanced so that the faint images stood out more clearly. And they discovered hundreds of flowers, mostly in the vicinity, like a halo, of the crucified man's head. Apparently, somebody loved this crucified man so much that they surrounded his sorrowful head with flowers. Isn't that amazing? Dr. Dannon said he recognized images of the crown chrysanthemum and the rock rose in the photographs, and he became convinced that the material was authentic. He was also given samples of pollen taken from the shroud to study. And so he wrote a book called Botany of the Shroud that's one of the most convincing pieces of literature describing the shroud as authentic. He gave me a copy of that book, and even though at the time I met him, Dr. Dannon said he wasn't a religious Jew, but he still acted like he had been touched by having written the book and studied the shroud. Faint images of many species of plants were found on the shroud, but only those within restricted geographic distribution are useful for determining, of course, its geographical origin. Dr. Dannon found four floral images that are regional to the Holy Land. He found a type of thorny thistle from the sunflower family. He found a rock rose and two types of capers whose overlapping geographical distribution is limited only to the areas between Jerusalem and Hebron. I found that to be amazing. The presence of these four species coexisting within a very limited geographical area substantiates a narrow window between Jerusalem and Hebron as the only possible location of the origin of the cloth. Wow, that calls for a Selah moment. If the plant images and the image of a crucified man were produced at the same time, that would eliminate any possibility that the cloth 
originated in Europe. And so Dr. Dannon provides valuable information in favor of the shroud belonging to Jesus. Dr. Dannon said at our conference that this combination of flowers is only found in one region of the world. And so this evidence clearly points to a floral grouping from the area surrounding Jerusalem. And in light of his findings, it's highly probable that the shroud did in fact come from this part of the world, the area around Jerusalem. Amazingly to me, Dr. Dannon also told us, and at that point tears came into his eyes, that enhanced photography of the shroud also revealed some other objects, including a nail, a hammer, a long reed, a sponge, and a rope. And so he subsequently reproduced many meters of this kind of rope using palm leaves. The reed and the sponge recall the description of a scene that happened in the crucifixion that's recorded in Mark chapter 15 and verse 36. And one bystander ran when Jesus said he was thirsty and he filled a sponge full of vinegar and put the sponge on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Dr. Danin said the reason why these items would be included in the burial is because they had come into contact with blood and blood is considered sacred. Even today, when there's, God forbid, a terrorist bombing, special teams of Orthodox Jews go around carefully collecting all the body pieces and even the blood for burial. So what do we make of all of this? Former Pope Benedict described the Shroud of Turin as an extraordinary icon, the icon of Holy Saturday, he said, corresponding in every way to what the Gospels tell us about Jesus' crucifixion. If it's an icon, it's an icon written in blood, the blood of a man who was scourged, crowned with thorns, crucified, and even whose right side was pierced. So in the Turin Shroud, we see as in a mirror our suffering and the suffering of the Messiah. But the thought that I most want to leave with you is this. The greatest exploit that you and I can ever do is simply to believe on the one whom God sent into this world as his only begotten son to pay the terrible price once and for all for our sins. There's no evidence that I can guarantee that the Shroud of Turin is genuine, but I can guarantee that this is the Word of God and that there is only one genuine Savior, and His name is Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. The Bible says, call upon Him and you shall be saved. That's the good news of the last days that we always want to give to you. And so in the meantime, we invite you to visit our website to watch our other videos, which are archived at our website, exploits.tv. And there you will also find daily news updates about Israel reporting from a biblical viewpoint. Please also connect with us on the social media. And so contending for the faith and watching on the walls of Jerusalem, I'm an evangelist of the empty tomb. Christine Darg. Shalom.
since we started the Jerusalem Channel less than two years ago, the word has certainly spread far and wide. Acts 1.8 is our ministry mandate. First in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. Over the internet, we have a global audience that wants to know the Word of God and to better understand in time events. As you can see from this analysis, people from many nations are joining us for these exploits programs. But each time someone views the channel, the video streaming costs are a real expense. It's much cheaper than satellite TV, but we still need to produce and stream these broadcasts. That's why I would urge you to help us. You can call us in the United States at our toll-free number, 888-245-2692, or in the United Kingdom at our national number, 0843 557 4077. With a credit or debit card, you can also click the donate button on our website. Thank you for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel's mandate. As Daniel 11:32 proclaims, those who know God will be strong and do exploits. Please keep us and Exploits TV, the Jerusalem Channel, in your prayers so that we can reach the world through the internet and by YouTube, Roku, and Google TV.